Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. I am here with Carla Nomberg, and welcome to my podcast. And it's so, we were just having a cool intro chat that it was one of those chats, uh, Carla, that it's like, uh, I'm forgetting to actually have a start because we could just keep going and just like, it's cool to just keep riffing about stuff. To- so. Yeah. The listeners will just, they'll figure it out. They'll jump on into our conversation. That's right. That's right. And as I like to to think, this is a, th- this, these podcasts are like in a, an experiential thing. It's like a meditation in and of itself regardless of the content. And I just saw books fall in the background. Books are falling on my shelf. It's fine. <laughs> keep talking. Books are falling. But, but yeah, so we're, I think we're going to have a great conversation here. Carla has an amazing book that I have now read. And, and I can't say that for everyone that I've you know interviewed in the past. Don't I won't admit name that. Names. Don't say I, that. I won't, I won't, I won't name names, but I have at least attended to them heavily, but this one, I could not stop reading. And as an author myself of parenting books and, you know, mindfulness related things, how to help kids and families, I was really blown away by this book. And I'm going to say the title fully, and then we're going to try and work and do our best. We were just talking about this before uh, starting the recording that, you know, we don't want to be swearing and have to do the explicit thing. Now, just to be clear, I I totally want to be swearing, but I'm not going uh, to be out of respect for your audience. But, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we all get a little sweary. That's right. And we want, and here's the thing, though I am fond of swearing at times, I think it is, it is so important that as many listeners as possible really stay tuned and really listen. Totally. Because, you know, this book is, is so important. I think it's mostly about the way it's written honestly, and I want to talk about a lot of stuff, but, you know, you know, I, I think that it has a message and the, the message is mostly about how you talk to the parent. Hmm. So how to stop losing your shit with your kids. That's the title of the book. And which is a brilliant title. And you and I have talked writing before, you know, you know, long before I had a podcast idea and whatnot. And, it is, it is just a title that not only grabs attention, it, I think it grabs parents for where they actually are. Yeah. And as so, a parent, it's where I am too, right? I mean, it with, with the readers, with you, with all of us. Yeah. So, so tell, we got to start with that. Like what, what led to that title? Why write that book? You know, what, what's that about? So the book just came from my own personal experience. So I have two daughters who are now 12 and almost 11. Yeah. And I was never much of a yeller or screamer or a, you know, I didn't really lose my temper that much before I became a parent. And then pretty quickly, I had two kids under the age of two and I was losing it all the time. And I, it was like this endless cycle where I would scream at my kids and then feel horrible because I just screamed at like two little toddlers. Yes. 
And then I'd go in the kitchen, eat some chocolate, feel terrible about myself, be convinced I was ruining my kids for life. And then like go back out and repeat the cycle. Yeah. And it was really painful. I felt deeply ashamed. I felt really alone. I somehow managed to convince myself and really truly believe that I was the only parent yelling at their kids. Mm -hmm. Like I would go to these support groups for parents and toddlers and babies. And I remember literally looking around the room and thinking nobody else is losing their, their temper with their kids and really so, deeply believing it. So even as being a clinician yourself, oh. you, be you believe that? Absolutely. Even as a clinical social worker who had years of experience working with kids and families and all the things, somehow my brain got in this really weird, messed up place. And yes. I, since then, I've learned I wasn't alone, not only in terms of clearly I'm not the only parent who loses their temper with their kids, but also I wasn't alone in believing I was the only one. Yes. So that sent me off on this um, journey that took years that I write about a little bit in the book of trying to figure out how to break this cycle and ultimately that's what got me into mindfulness it wasn't yes. it wasn't some like deep desire to connect with the universe or find nirvana or something i just wanted to stop yelling at my kids really because um, if you find that let me know i'm looking yeah i will i will yeah. and then i'll yeah. sell it to you no just okay <laughs> <laughs> but um the title of the book so i had been reading i'm just it was like really a very self-serving title that since i've a kid since i was a kid i've always wanted to be on the new york times bestseller list i'm not there maybe someday i will be maybe yeah. not yeah but i had been reading i always follow what the books are on the list and there were all these self-help books with swear words in the title yes and i was like oh well psh, i could do how, that how about that how <laughs> about that the title of the book came from the, the one i remember and i won't say the word but the big yellow book f feelings yes i can't remember the author i apologize to the it's author. a psychologist or psychiatrist and his daughter wrote that yeah, one yeah 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 there's there's a bunch of them and yes. so that's what inspired this title but it also just really this book came out of my i don't know it's a decade now long journey to figure this out and once i had a new model for understanding it. I, I thought it would be helpful and I wanted to share it with other parents. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. What did you, when you heard me say, cause I, you know, we're, uh, one thing Carla and I talked about over email is, you know, with a lot of people I interview thus far, it's like, do do the prep, which I did even for this interview. Um, but to ask them, well, what do you want me to ask you? What do you think I should ask you? And Carla had a, you had a great response. You're like, Let's not do that. Let's just organically talk, which is my inclination anyway, because yeah. it's more mindful that way. It's more present. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm, I'm going to just go with the next thing that occurred to me after what you just last said, which is what did you experience when I said uh, earlier about how you wrote this book, the tone that you take with the parents, the, the way you're speaking to them? that that may be the most powerful thing for parents. It's just so like, it's so authentic. It's really hard to describe. So um, I was trying to be funny. Hopefully I was funny. <laughs> um, I was trying to be really, really casual. Um, and I tried to imagine what I would say if I was sitting across from a parent. And I was very intentional about this. Um, for one specific reason. So this is my third parenting book. Yes. And I've read like approximately a bajillion other ones. Right. Um, and my response to many of these parenting books 
is a feeling like I come away from the book and I'm like, I am screwing up my kids. Mm. Like, let me now go ahead and add to the list of all the strategies and tactics and practices I should be using to make sure that, like, to guarantee that my children are healthy, well-balanced, thoughtful, kind, smart, achieving, you know, people. And I'm not doing all of them. So, and I can't imagine doing half of them. Like, I literally am like, I don't know how I'm going to spend 15 minutes alone with each of my children every single day. Yes. I remember reading in one book and being like, what am I going to do with the other one? Lock her in her bedroom? Like, right. What one-to-one -one time, the standard yeah, like the, No, not like, yes. no. So I remember feeling a lot of guilt and shame and doubt after reading a lot of parenting books. And I actually had a friend confide in me that she felt some of that after reading my first two books. And I mm -hmm. was devastated. I'm glad she told me because I think she was right. And she was being yeah. honest about her experience. Yeah. But I was like, oh, the thought that I've unintentionally done that to some other parent was horrible. And I don't think any parenting writer sets out to do that. No. Um, but I really, really didn't want this book to have that um, effect on any parent. Yeah. And for me, the only way I know how to counteract that is by showing up as fully and authentically as in the book as I do in person. And look, let's be honest. Okay, so in the book, I swear, there's a lot of potty humor. Right. Um, and there's a lot of like my own stories about my struggles. Yeah. And if you come hang out with me and have coffee with me, that's what you're going to get. Like, yes. Poop jokes and F-bombs. <laughs> like, really, really. Okay. And so that's how I show up in the book. And certainly it works for some parents. It's a, it's different than what we're used to seeing in parenting books. Yeah. And I definitely got some feedback from other parents that they didn't like it. They don't, they don't want to yeah. see the S word. I don't think I have the F bomb, but there's definitely the S word. It's on the cover. Yes. It's in the book. Yes. Um, and so some parents don't love it and that's okay. But right. I wanted to reach the many parents who maybe were looking for a different kind of parenting book. And, and I think you did that. And I think the response that I'm aware of that your book has gotten testifies to that. Because I think what you're saying is so true. Parents feel like, oh, there's all this should for me in this parenting book that I'm reading. And I, as I like to say, and I'm ripping this off from somebody and I apologize to that person, you, you got to stop shooting all over yourself. Every, right. I, I think every therapist on the planet, Mitch, has ripped that one off. It's all right. Good. So I'm, I'm in it, good company. It's in, the, good, it's in the canon now. That's it's in the canon. But parents, you know, we as parents, and I'm one as well, 10 and six, you know, we should on ourselves all the time. And so why read over and over again what we should be doing, but we don't have time to do, or we try to do, but we don't do it the way the book lays it out. So we suck. And, 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 Versus right. I, the tone that you have is just so authentic. And there's like, let me meet you where I am or where you are and let you see that I am not in your shoes, but I, I know what that feels like to lose it with my kids. And yeah. here's why you're losing it in very straightforward language so that you don't blame yourself so much. Right. What? I think, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I think you're exactly right. And I think that many parents assume that if they're losing their temper with their kids, shouting or screaming or throwing remote controls or whatever it is, um, that there is something inherently wrong with them as a parent, that they should be able to just have the willpower and self-control to choose not to do that. And that's just not how humans work. Right. And it's a really blaming and shaming way of approaching the problem that doesn't help. So I was trying yes. to avoid that as well. 
Yes. Because I've read so many parenting books that give you all this advice. And then there's like one tiny sentence. It's like, and you as a parent really need to stay as calm as possible during this time. And um, I call that the coulda, woulda advice. If I could have done that, I would have done that. But clearly I couldn't. So I didn't. And what do I do right. about that? Right. So, right. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this, but one of the things that you say, and this is, this is along the lines of you, you're meeting people with your recommendations where they are at. It's like, bring in the mindfulness piece and enough to be able to notice you're getting triggered. Yep. And pause. And then I, I love why you say it in the book, literally do anything else. Right. <laughs> so, so I, this is fundamentally a book about mindfulness and because this is the world you live in, Mitch. I'm sure you recognized all of the like mindful bits, but I tried yeah. to not use the M word too much because I know some people out there feel about mindfulness the way I feel about kale, which is like this <laughs> knee-jerk reaction. And I will admit there are times when my if my husband cooks the kale just right and I'm in a good mood and the mountain look like, you know, planets are aligned that I will actually enjoy kale. But in general, that hear the is word awesome i'm like i'm out i don't want this and i think some yeah. people feel that way about mindfulness right yes oh so my god I i'm gonna it's gonna stick with me all day the the, the kale mindfulness <laughs> you know, yeah yeah and so i wanted to be but but you know fine i get it like i i understand and i felt this way before i learned about mindfulness i was totally grossed out by it as well and then i actually learned that it was like this incredibly useful skillful honestly game-changing life-changing practice yes. and so I wanted to offer the practices to people without all the packaging that kind of you know turns them off so I didn't use the m word too much in the book yes but you're right so I, I offer a bunch of ideas for how to hopefully prevent yourself from getting to the edge of that you know parenting cliff but then once you're there once your button's been pushed and you're triggered and you're about to explode, or maybe you're even like mid explosion, I try to offer a strategy for um, interrupting that moment for not yes. losing it. And you're right. The first piece is kind of noticing it because how many of us have gone from like zero to like, you know, screaming your head off and, and we don't even know how we got there. Yes. And so yes. can we notice, and then can you just put a pin in it? Just pause, just, just pause for a minute. And that's really a way of slowing down your nervous system because if there was actually a real, and I talk a lot about the nervous system in the book, yeah. um, but if there was actually a real threat coming at you, you wouldn't pause. Right. So when you can make the choice to pause. It's like sending a note to your nervous system being like, hey, you're not about to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. You're yes. okay, calm down. Yes. And then just do whatever, do anything else. The, I mean, I don't really encourage people to go punch a pillow because I think then you're just kind of practicing punching. Right, 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 right. But if that's all you can do, go punch a pillow, right? But for me, often I I end up making animal noises. I will like cluck like a chicken. Ah. Because I have this <laughs> energy that needs to get out. It's in my body, it's pent up, it needs to get out. I don't want to yell at my kids. I don't want to scream into another room or something. So I just end up like clucking like a chicken or making these weird kind of nonsensical sounds. Yes. Which, gets the energy out and kind of breaks up the moment in a hopefully funny way. Love it. So that's do what not... I do. Some people do jumping jacks or, or repeat a prayer or a mantra or count to 10 or whatever, sing a song, whatever you need to do. It's fine. Just do it. You know what? That, that reminds me of something. And I would like to say I do this 100% of the time, but I would be lying. <laughs> um, 
a friend of mine gave me this, uh, who's also a parent and a clinician. He, uh, he's like, oh, dude, I, I was telling him about parenting woes that I was having because yes. it is universal. And uh, he goes, dude, here's what I do. Right before I lose it, I just pause and I go clean something. Oh, yes. And and I'm like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. He says he does it around losing it with the kids or losing it with his wife. He He's about, it's that feeling, I'm going to go there. I, I'm just going to go there. I yeah. know it's going to be toxic. I'm just going to go there. But instead, he has, he's like, I'll just go clean something. And then particularly his wife, you know, you know, that's awesome. And then she's less angry. Oh, yeah. You know. So I literally took that and I made an acronym from it because I love acronyms. I'm like acronym crazy. C-L-E-A-N. You tell well, me. Let's hear it. Do this. Do uh, this. I want all right. Hear. All right. All right. Okay. So the C, so there's clean. Go clean something. Yeah. Just go do that. That could so be in, the. In my house, we refer to this as the angry sweep. And when my husband comes in and sees me angry sweeping the kitchen, he knows that we are going to have words later and I just need to calm down. But but, our, but you're not having are never cleaner than when I am pissed off. But you I'm going to think like a psychologist right now, yeah. but you're giving him a cue versus blasting him, which allows him the chance to kind of get more aware. And you guys can be more likely to have a protect a productive resolution later, perhaps. That's right. But what he really does is like slowly back away without making eye contact, which is probably <laughs> the safe thing to do at that moment. Wait, let's right. go back to clean. Right, I, right, love, right. I love a good acronym. Let's all right. It. Okay. Okay. I have a little, a little piece of cardboard. I wrote this down on somewhere. Um, so you go clean something or the C can also be go cook, go cook something. Cause this, these are the things that really resonate with my wife. But see, I never cook. I don't cook. That's not a thing I do, but I do clean, but she... I like both. If, if she finds me on the rare chan uh, time I'm actually cooking, that just like whatever she was mad at me about, is it goes down to like 5%. So, so wait, is the cooking for when you're mad or when she's mad? I, she's mad. We've been fighting. I'm about to completely lose it or I'm going to go lose it on the kids. And it may or may not be about the kids. It may be I'm mad at her, you know, whatever. Totally. We, somebody ends up cooking, which is amazing in my world. So, you know, so I might, I don't say I do it very often, but I might go clean something. I might cook. And then the L is here. Here, I put myself on the hook. I need to not butcher the acronym. I need to listen to the other to really try to understand. Ooh. E, I need to go engage one of the kids in a playful, productive way. Wow. I thought a, he was going to be for escape. So I like engage a whole lot. Uh, a, a is ask. This is toward my wife. Ask what it is that I can do that I might be missing. And then N is notice others effort. Oh my gosh, this is so good. I want to give this to my husband. Am I allowed to give this to my husband? Go for, go for it. Go for it. And then he'll be like looking me up later like I hate you. Like, Who's <laughs> no more podcasts with that man. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I think that some of those I've been able to access and it is just, it's like, so it's like so weird, right? Obviously things are better when you pause and do the mindful pause, put that little, you know, finger in the toxic explosive, you know, crack in the dike that wants to, to blow right. and then go do one of these things. It's always better 
But I, I think, and you do reference the kind of the, the brain aspect in the book and yeah. but you don't go heavy handed with it where it's like, you know, too, too much and yeah. preachy and, you, can, you know. You can only write about like amygdala too many times and then people check out. Right, 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 right. And it gets written about in a way where the person clearly doesn't even know what the amygdala is really about. They're just using it because it's cool to, to say amygdala these days. It is but, cool. It's extremely yeah. cool. I use it all the time. But, but you amygdala. use, you reference the brain appropriately, but it's like. You need that. You need something to tell that part of your survival brain. It's okay, dude. It's okay. You do not have to blow your stack right now in order to, you know, pass on your genes or get food. That's right. <laughs> yes, which is exactly what our the, the, the point I try to make. So I talk about the brain for two reasons. One is, well, one is because I totally nerd out on this stuff and I love brain science. Yes. Uh, but the, the more important reasons is, first, I wanted readers to understand that losing your temper is a deeply human experience. It is literally part of how our brain was designed to function. Yes. Um, it's not a flaw. It's like a sort of problematic side effect that we all yes. have. Yes. The other thing I wanted readers to understand is that our brains were designed like the, 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 the dynamic that's happening when we get triggered and then lose it is, was designed to keep us alive when there were actual threats, yes. like saber tooth tigers or whatever. And unfortunately they still come online in the same way when the threat is a child and mm. We, we don't face that most of us in our daily lives, not everyone, but most of us in our daily lives do not face too many God willing physical threats, right? That's right. That's right. Um, but the threats we face are social, emotional, financial, whatever, but our brain doesn't know how to react to those differently. So we still have the right. same very physical response, even though the moment doesn't necessarily call for a physical response. Yes. Yes. And so when we can and then we get all this energy we're all like jacked up with this energy that is designed to help us fight or run away or freeze if you've got a trauma history especially yeah um, some people do freeze and i i say that when we can't do those three although i have been known to kind of take off from my kids and hide in the bathroom sometimes yeah uh, i'm not above admitting that and i will do uh, it i i'm impressed yes um, we only have one door in our house like interior that locks and it's like the smallest tiny interior bathroom so i've been known to go in there and lock the door but anyways moving on um <laughs> and so we freak out right yeah. we can't yes. fight flee or freeze generally some of us do freeze but for many people we freak out and it's that same like you've got this physical reaction you need to do something with it and there is you know i think we can all admit that after you scream at your kids or do whatever lose your cool with them there is a momentary sense of relief because you've yes. gotten that energy out of your body and so we just need to find another way to notice that the energy is building yes and release it in a less toxic way which is how i end up running around my kitchen like clucking like a chicken I, I think this is so important because parents, like we talked about in the beginning, they should on themselves, they blame themselves, they feel like they're falling short, that they should not have that angry, frustrated, overwhelmed, fight, flight, freeze reaction. Yeah. And and that message is so crucial that it's wired into you, kiddo. Totally. You know, that that is, the, your brain is doing what it's supposed to do, and yet, in our modern world, we need some new technologies. We need some new things to do because we don't need our brains to do that in all these situations anymore, particularly with our kids. It's right. going to happen, but we need, we, there's stuff we can do to 
go beyond what evolution gave us. Absolutely. And I think that it's interesting you mentioned new technologies. And I think you're also talking about like strategies and, and habits yes. and tools. And I think we need a new understanding of our role as parents, because look, mm. I would argue, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this, Mitch. I would argue that parents are concerned about our relationship with our children in a way that no generation of parents before us ever has been. And it's not that parents before us didn't care about their kids, but for most of eternity, the point of having a kid was so that you could raise them to work the farm or be the blacksmith or like keep yes. the family alive, right? Or your retirement plan. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't, I think Jennifer Sr. writes about this and I'll join no fun. Parenting wasn't actually a verb until the 1970s. That's right. A woman who didn't work outside the home was called a housewife. Her job was to take care of the house. Yes. And now they're called stay-at-home moms because your job Interesting. is... like So there's like this been... All of a sudden, it's not just that we're raising our kids, you know, to carry on the family business and take care of us when we're old and make sure yes. we live forever. It's like this emotional investment. And at the same time, people like you and me are out there for better or for worse, talking about the importance of a healthy relationship between the parent and the child and attachment relationships and how yes. this can impact your kids' long-term functioning. And all of a sudden parents are like, oh, holy smokes. Yep. If I don't have a good relationship with my kid, they're going to grow up to be like, you know, yes. a psychopath, which is not actually entirely true people. But right. we are worried about this. And so all of a sudden, you know, my dad used to spank me. Yeah. I don't think he was a bad dad. It was just what parents did and they didn't really care because everybody That's was right. doing it. That's and right. now parents are flipping out about how we treat our kids and we should care about this. It does matter. Right. But I think we have this whole new world of things to worry about that previous generations of parents didn't worry about. And yes. I think we're right to worry about it, but it also makes parenting a whole lot harder. Yeah, it's the pressure aspect that I think Ugh. you're you're speaking to. So that much. we need we need to, you know, that historical perspective is so important because it is a recent phenomenon that we're putting all of this immense pressure on ourselves, and you know, and I I'll be interested when it comes out what you think of my next book around parenting comes out in the fall. Um, Hold on, can you take a moment for our listeners and tell them the name of your book and whether or not they can pre-order it? <laughs> wait, 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 yes, yes. Uh, who's interviewing who? It's, it's called uh, Prizeworthy, and it has a very long subtitle that I'm not going to remember off the top of my head, but it's about cultivating meaning and connection and character in your Love kid. it. But it's, it's what I call sidestepping the praise and blame paradigm. And I think that's what we're talking about. Yep, yep. That parents, you know, toward their kids overly feel like they need to be praising everything, building yes. the kids' self-esteem. Everybody gets a trophy. You can do anything you want in life. And it's a lot of pressure on the kid without the parents intending it. Yes. And then there's yes. a lot of indirect, unintentional, mostly blame of kids when they can't, get to that bar yeah and then the praise and blame paradigm comes back on the parent and that's what we've been talking about prizing is different it's all in the moment and it's all about showing up and bringing your authenticity which includes self-compassion and letting yourself <laughs> can off we please talk about self-compassion yes it's huge this is like my favorite thing to talk about 
It's huge. Can I just can I ask it this way and, and get off of talking about my, my about my book? I'll talk about it later and I'll do little. It sounds amazing things. though, and I want to read it. Thank you, thank yeah. you. It's like you know what the title of this podcast: the prize of possibility. You know what are what are the possibilities for parents in moments with their kids? What would you say about that? Maybe we'll end up talking about self compassion. I don't know. I think that there are possibilities that parents, because of the pressure they feel, all the demands on their plate, it's not like more of a should, it's like remove the shoulds and then there's like more possibility. But what are those possibilities in your mind? Oh my gosh, this is such a good question. My brain is going in a million directions because I love this question. Okay, here's here. I'm going to start talking and... Hopefully it makes sense. And if it doesn't interrupt me and we'll get back on track. Okay. Um, first of all, I would, I feel the need to say to parents that not every moment has to be a possibility with your kid mm. because we just, most of us parents, and especially I'm aware that you and I are recording this conversation 13 months into this pandemic. Yes. That in order for a moment to be a possibility, I think we, we need to be able to show up with some kind of, awareness and curiosity and enge a, like there has to be at least a minimum amount of energy to engage with our kids right love it totally and i just want to acknowledge that many of us parents don't have that at every moment that's right? right and at any given moment we may not have that because for a million different reasons like we may not have slept well the night before or maybe an email just came in from our boss and as much as we tell ourselves we're not going to check our email all of a sudden, especially in the middle of this pandemic, like work and home life is blended together in this way that we can't make sense of. And we really need to keep our damn jobs. And, yes. you know, there, or maybe we're in a fight with our spouse or, and we're like really doing some angry cleaning. Like, <laughs> sweeping, an angry sweeping. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, we know we need to get up at, you know, 4am to try to get an appointment for a damn vaccine. And we don't know if we're going to like, there's just so many things. And so I yes. just want to take a moment and acknowledge that not every moment has to be like a Kodak moment or a teachable moment or, you know, I'm just aware that there's a whole generation of listeners that will likely have no idea what a Kodak moment is. I just want to say that. that that's true. That's true. It's a picture perfect moment. So having said that, here's what I will say. The possibilities for a moment, I think really rely on two things. Um, obviously kind of showing up. Yes. But I think the trick to sticking around, because many of us try to show up for our kids, right? And then if everything is magical and the planets are aligned and the gods are smiling at us, the kid will start talking about something we're actually interested in, or they won't be super obnoxious and we'll just sort of organically be interested in what's happening and it'll work. And sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes yes. we get lucky. But when that doesn't happen, if we really want to show up for our kids, I think First of all, we got to talk about attunement, right, Mitch? Yes. Because there are times when I find myself having a whole lot of energy to hang out with my kid, but she is actually in the middle of a book. Or it's like her half an hour, hour, six hours of screen time, whatever it may be. And she's like not down with it. That's right. And I'm here being like, come on, I want to pay attention to you, play with me. And, yes. And so I think we have to attune to what's going on with our kids. And if they are like legit not interested in hanging out with us, then the possibility for that moment is go take care of yourself. Yes. Right. I love this. This is so freaking important. Like, yes. let it be okay. Right. But if the kid is there, 
then I think it really comes down to two things. And tell me if you can think of more. It comes down to those like age old mindfulness practices of kindness and curiosity. Yes. Can we get curious about what's going on with our kid? Right. And I will tell you, this is sometimes I feel like incredibly easy just to ask him questions and they'll talk to you. And sometimes it's so painful. My kids are obsessed with some game called like adopt me. And as far as I can uh, tell, it's literally this game ever in the history. Yes. Of I know this game. I know this game. Oh my God. That's- and I used to read like Veronica and Archie. So I know from stupid, right? <laughs> this is so stupid. And I try to get curious about this game, Mitch, and there's nothing there. I have zero yeah. curiosity. I've tried as well. Oh, yeah. It just sucks. Yeah. Um, but then can, so then can we show up to the moment with kindness, either for yeah. ourselves that we're not having the parenting experience we want or for our kid? Yes. Whatever that may look like. But I really feel like it comes down to those two things, curiosity and kindness. I will also say that the other possibility for moments, so that one of the things I'm sure you get as a psychologist who works with families is parents who call you up with a specific problem. I can't, and it's usually around behavior and compliance, right? Right, right. I can't get my kid to do X, Y, or Z. Yes. And it's like, oh, honey. Nobody can get their kids to put on their shoes in the morning on the way out the door back when we used to leave the house. Right. If I could get my kids to do that, I would not be here talking to you. I would be off frolicking on my private island with Oprah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So there is no one answer to how to get your kids to put on their shoes in the morning. Right. But I feel like when we show up with presence and yes. we're curious about our kids, that's when we are creative. And I think that's the other possibility is creativity, either in terms of like figuring out how to connect with your kids or how to get them to do the thing you need them to do. And and my favorite story about this is this dad, who's also, I guess, a soccer coach or something. And when he sat back and realized his kids weren't putting on their shoes or getting their backpack, whatever, in the morning, he was like, I'm a soccer coach. How do I teach a kid a thing? I run drills. And so he literally on the weekend would make his kids practice putting on their shoes and packing their backpacks. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, the thing is, if he did how he did that could be either how he's relating to doing that with them could be either like a huge problem. Right. It could be a kind, curious, creative genius move. I think he made it funny and fun. Yes. Game. And so it was cool, but it was also literally using this very mindful technique of like practicing that thing that you want to be able to do. But isn't that don't you don't you think that depending on how he was showing up or totally. not, he could take oh I run drills and try to make them run these drills, and I think it's about the showing up, and this is super hard here in our Western world, and I struggle with this because I grew up in this culture. To we are so fixated on controlling outcomes. Oh my gosh! Yes. And and this is what mindfulness practice. But I want practice. to, Mitch. I right. want to control the outcomes. Right, and I still do too. And yet, they tend to happen when I stop fixating on them. I know, but that's so hard. It is hard, but I I think that's what I think that's what you're writing about. It's what I write about. It's what I do in my work clinically. It's like you have to trust. You trust a religious being. You can trust the universe. Trust yourself that when you show up and let go and yet have a goal, have a target, but show up and let go and, and 
be present, be curious, be kind, self, and them. And then they tend to, those outcomes tend to unfold the way they need to. And that sounds like a platitude. It's just practical. It's what happens. Here's, I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this. Go for it. I agree with you that our best shot at any of this is taking care of ourselves enough as parents so that we can show up. Yes. So we can be kind and creative and all that stuff, which absolutely requires self-care, right? Can't right. do without it. You got to get enough sleep or your prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, which is where the kindness and the curiosity and all this shows up. Your prefrontal cortex is like, screw it. I'm out of here. That's you're right. Exhausted. And you got right. nothing. And I think that the present moment, I, I like to say, is the only place where we can get accurate data about what's actually happening That's also right. known as clarity right right and it's the only place where we can affect action yes but here's the scary thing and the part that brings out my like jewish mama anxiety and all this stuff is we can do everything as well as we can and bad stuff still can happen yes and i don't like that okay right. i'm not down with that right and so i think that's I just want to say that I empathize as a parent, as a mother, I empath whatever, as a human on this planet, I have so much empathy for how scary that is, yes. how real that is, and that to remind people also that showing up for the bad stuff too is the only way to get through it. Yes. And but sometimes it really sucks. It it does really suck. And 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 this is something I write about in this book, this prizeworthy book, you know, that pain is just here when it's here and it's universal as a parent it's going to be there for your kid but instead of praise which is tends to be about outcomes and trying to make them happen right prizing is about great th stuff that's happened effort hey i see your effort i see you engaging i see you creating awesome awesome love it matters to me it's also pain i see pain i see pain in you i see pain in me and that matters to me. And yeah. when we get with the pain, like compassionately, self-compassionately, other compassionately, and we let it burn, I think there's like a composting that happens. There's a, we Ooh, can't, we can't, like we can't know what will come. I've got, I won't get into it. You know, I've got some stuff in my family right now. Right. And it's painful. Yeah. And I am here to say, I'll check back in later, you know, that if I can really presence with it, and I love that term, I call it presencing, I try to yes. make a verb of it. If I can do the presencing and, and then open to the pain that that might be, is right now, and if I breathe into it and let it, let it play and show up to it with others in my family, I have seen many times other pain content, things tend to come from that, that I could yes. not have predicted. Absolutely. And connecting up possibility. That's what I mean by the positive. Sometimes it's on the other side of pain and we just, we don't know it yet because it's, it's not here. Yeah. Uh, look, I love everything you're saying. And now I think is a good time, if you're okay with it, yes. to talk about self-compassion. Yeah, let's do that, and then we'll do our wrap-up. Yes. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> look, when I first heard about self-compassion, I 
all I could think about was Stuart Smalley in those old Saturday Live sketches sitting in front of the mirror <laughs> being like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And oh, I, I love like, it. I remember literally sitting in a mindfulness-based stress reduction course with like 30 other people, <laughs> like a petulant child being, sorry, my cat tail just went through, That's being awesome. like, I am literally not putting my hand on my heart and there's no way you can make me do it. Right. I was like right. a 35-year-old woman being, no way in hell I'm doing this. Yes. And now I'm here to tell you that if there is one practice that has mm-hmm. changed my parenting and my life more than anything, it is self-compassion. Yeah. And I, I have a bachelor's in psychology and six years of social work training. Yes. I never heard that phrase. Not once. I know. Until I started learning about and practicing mindfulness. Yep. Me neither. Um, and so and, me, and I had, I just have to jump in, and I had all these misconceptions about it. Even as a meditator for years. Tell me one. Tell me one. I, I was like, okay, yeah, that's just, yeah, it's too soft. It's too, you know, the, it's not the real mindfulness practice. It's not real meditation. Oh, that's so interesting. It's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a fluff thing on the side. It's rainbows and unicorns. It's not the real deal. that's going to get you to that, you know, that Nirvana that we were talking about. So and that was a hang up in my mind. And that's but so interesting. I, yeah. Yeah. So I, I will tell you how it plays out in a very real way in parenting and how it yes. helps me stop, lose my temper. So there are three aspects, right? We know yeah. about self-compassion. Um, according to the work done by Neff and Germer. Yes. The one is sort of mindfulness, showing up to your experience, no matter what it is, with this kind of accepting and kind attitude, which is so much easier said than done. Yes. The other one is this idea of common humanity, remembering that we're not alone, right? And as Mm -hmm. we talked about earlier in this conversation, that was like a core pain point for me. Yeah. And the third one is kind self-talk. Yes. Which I think is what I was imagining Stuart Smalley sitting in front of this mirror gross. Right. Right. So I used to lose my temper with my kids and then immediately go in the kitchen, search for chocolate and berate myself. Yeah. I would say horrible things to myself that I would never say, certainly not to a good friend, not even to someone I didn't like, like things like I'm a terrible mother. I am a terrible mother. Just those four words, five words, yeah. whatever. Who says that? Yeah. Like, who says that to somebody? That's a horrible thing to say. Right. Yeah. And I was saying it so frequently that it was like an automatic thought. Yes. I'm ruining my kids. Nobody else is as bad a parent as I am. Right. And all of this would trigger me even more. Of course. And I'd be on high alert still. And then I'd go out and lose it with my kids again, which was the very thing I had just been berating myself for. Yes. And I worked hard and practiced over the years. And now I will tell you that my automatic response when I get snippy or angry or lose my temper with my kids has shifted to, this is a hard moment. Mm. parenting is hard what do i need what do i need in this moment sometimes i'm like oh i've actually had to go to the bathroom for the past hour and i haven't taken the time to do it and it's really hard to parent well when you need to pee yes right sometimes it's like i haven't eaten today i didn't sleep last night i've been staring at cnn all day why the hell am i doing that right i'm so scared and anxious and worried about the world right and sometimes it's like what do my kids need oh They just spent all day in school wearing masks and trying to remember to stay six feet apart from their friends. Right. Like they must be exhausted. Maybe they have some anxiety. Maybe they're hungry. Yes. And so when I can get to that place, which it took me a long time to try to figure out how to get to it. I, 
I can now sort of get curious about our experience because curiosity yes. is a fundamentally compassionate approach. Yes, it is. I can have compassion for myself and I really calm myself down and bring myself off that ledge of losing my temper. And so then I can go back and either re-engage with my kids from a much more compassionate place or acknowledge that my parenting tank isn't empty and they get to watch an extra TV show tonight or that's play right. an extra hour of stupid adopt me because I have like nothing else to give. And that's just how it is for tonight. It's how it is. Okay. It's like, okay. So much better to do that than spend an hour sh shouting at them. Um, and so I will say that compassion, if there's one practice that I want parents to know about and learn about and realize that it's a thing that exists, self-compassion is probably it. And that is probably the thing that has changed my parenting experience more than anything else. Yes, I love it. And here's the thing that I have learned. Yeah, and it's out, I'll say this first, that self-compassion move when you're noticing the thoughts starting to roll, I'm a terrible parent, I'm yeah. awful. It it helped you, it sounds like, really show up. Yeah. And then the the curiosity, the kindness, the other creative stuff then becomes possible. Yes, 100%. And and I think that so we're we're talking like a formula here. You have to find something that helps you show up, and the self compassion can really help you come out of that reactive brain space. It's not your fault because it's wired into you, but it also can become. It sounds like for you, I've been working on this. I may be behind you. Self compassion is something that you have to build as a habit. You have to you have to practice it. It isn't, it isn't something that's just intuitive and, and it, but it can become something that gets wired into our brain with practice. The, I told one, look, I love everything you just said. I never thought of compassion being the doorway into presence. And it, the minute you said it, I was like, oh my gosh, Mitch is right. That's totally true. The other thing is that when I talk about self-compassion, I think about it as like, you're learning to speak a new language. Yes. One that my parents never taught me because they didn't know it. It's not their fault. They can't right. teach me to speak Greek if they didn't learn to speak Greek. Right. But the first few times I tried to respond myself in a compassionate way, I literally couldn't find the words. Mm. And you know what? If you've ever tried to learn a new language, you're like yep. searching for the words. It's hard to yes. make them in your mouth. It feels weird. And it sounds super weird. And right. I was like, oh, this is gross. What am I doing? I don't know what else to do. I'll stick with it. And now you heard me just now. I could automatically say to you, when I'm having a bad moment, I remind myself that parenting is hard and I'm not alone. And, blah, yes. and now I can speak this language. But Mitch, it took years of me yeah. trying to find these words. And so, look, if your listeners can't find the words, then what do yes. you do? You find your native speaker. So you go find the person who is going to respond to you with compassion, whether it's a family yes. member or a friend or a therapist or a priest or a rabbi or whoever you go talk to them. And when you yes. listen to them respond to you with compassion, you will learn to speak that language. I love that. You yeah. have to you have to meet yourself where you are. And if you haven't learned the language yet, go find someone that is native and help them get their help in learning it. Yeah. Love it. Carla, awesome conversation. The book, which I obviously strongly recommend, <laughs> How to Stop Losing Your Stuff. With your kids, which is not the real S word. Right. But I, I strongly recommend it because it gives 
so much in a very readable, fun way, but it's totally relevant and people need it right now. They really, really do. Mm -hmm. How do people find you, find out more about what you're doing now? You know, what, what can you tell people? Yeah, they can just go to my website. It's carlanomberg.com or they yes. can Google how to stop losing your beep with your kids. Yes. Um, and you'll, you'll find it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I have a feeling there will be a part two at some point. I sure hope so. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, thank you, Carla. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of The Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.